Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. You know, one of the things I like about Conway, one of the things that I think is real kind of cool is that uh, murals are popping up all over downtown. Really love murals. I, I love, uh, you know, old brick walls turning into beautiful works of art. I like when you go to some towns and um, there's older murals that have kind of faded with age and that sort of stuff. I think it gives character. It gives a little bit of something interesting to see. Recently, we went over to Fort Smith to check out some of those murals over there. Some of the best in Arkansas, I think. They did not disappoint. Here in town, there is one in particular that I come in contact with nearly every day, and it is Toad Suck Day's mural. I see that every day because I park next to it. Toad Suck Day's mural. And it's a great mural. It really kind of captures what happens during the Toad Suck Days. However, if you were new to Conway, let's say you just drove in for the first time, you've never been here before and you saw that mural, you would have some questions, right? Like exactly what are you gonna do to a toad? And why is that little girl chasing the toad? That might be a question you have. Why do people have their hands on that truck? Why is days spelt like dazed and confused and not days of the week? Um, also, why is there a giant humanized frogs that are dressed in royal outfits? A lot of questions from that mural. A lot of things that don't immediately make sense. And yet with a little bit of explanation, it all makes sense. It all is perfectly fine and acceptable to our town. It sums it up, but the mural itself would lead you to some questions. In John chapter 15, Jesus is painting a picture, a mural, if you will of uh, some spiritual truths that we need to know. And at first glance, maybe it's not exactly clear what he's saying. Maybe, maybe you would have some questions. In particular, there are these four major themes, these four major pictures on the mural. And I wanna look at them today in sets of two, okay? So I hope that you can pick out the four major themes, maybe write them off to the side if you're taking notes or, or just keep them in your mind as I read the text to you. This is John chapter 15, verses one through eight. This is what Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Verse five, this is our key verse today. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them up, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Father God, we pray now that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open. God, that we would focus on the relationship and not the fruit but that fruit would be obvious. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together, amen. So the first pair in the pictures that I wanna to bring to the front here is the vine 
and the branches. The vine and the branches. This is how Jesus starts. He says, I am the true vine in verse one. And in verse five, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is a continuation of seven I am statements that John has shared with you. You could go back throughout John and circle the I am statements. You could do a sermon series. You could do a personal Bible study if you wanted to just on the I am statements of Jesus. He says, I am the living water. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. On and on, Jesus makes these seven statements. And in those, he is in particular, on purpose, trying to make a claim to divinity, reminding his followers that he himself is God. When Moses was at the burning bush and God told him to go back and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses says, who should I say sent me? God himself says, you tell him, I am that I am has sent you. Jesus is using the same phrase, I am, I am, I am, seven times to remind his followers that he is God. And then he uses these pictures, these illustrations to to teach us something, to, to show something about who he is. He is not a gate. He is not a shepherd. He is not water or bread. Instead, you are supposed to see similarities and to ask yourselves, in which ways does Jesus remind me of a vine? And so we got to ask ourselves, what does he mean when he says, I am a vine? What is Jesus teaching us? What are we supposed to see and walk away with? Well, one key to unlock the metaphor, the clue, the biggest clue in the text is the word remain, remain. Jesus uses remain 11 times in our story today and the few verses that follow it. Your Bible in the English, your Bible translation may say abide. I saw one that used the word sojourn. So Jesus is saying remain connected or remain with the vine. What does that mean? Well, one element of it is just an, an idea of time that the Christian life is a journey. It's a long walk. Don't, don't beat, your, beat yourself up so much if you're not making the progress or, or are developing the way that you want to right now. If you look back and you don't see exactly the levels or the accomplishments that you want in your Christian life, it's a long walk. You still got time. We're gonna walk this thing out together. Over time, Christians have boiled the Christian faith down to uh, one moment. Uh, when they walked an aisle or when they prayed a prayer or when they were baptized or when they filled out a card and those things are good and they are necessary, but they are not the sum total of your Christianity. Christianity is a long walk. It's a lifetime experience. Could you imagine holding the same qualities that we do to Christianity to any other relationship? Could you imagine considering a, a marriage to be nothing but the wedding? Or that motherhood would be nothing more than birth or fatherhood, nothing more than conception. We would laugh at that idea. Of course, that, of course that's, not how, that's not how marriage works. That's not how parenting works. It's a, it's a long thing. Those moments are necessary. They're important. They're valuable. They're good. But they're not all of it. The rest of it is what happens there. So when Jesus encourages his disciples, he says, remain, sojourn, abide, stay here, walk here, stick it out, be with me. One of the key verses in the Bible that I really think sums up this idea is Acts 2, verse 42. In that text, uh, the, the Luke who wrote it down 
accounts that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. It's a key. Write that down. Off to the side of your uh, Bible there, next to remain somewhere, right? They devoted themselves. Acts 2, 42. I think when you, when you meditate on that text, when you sit there and think about that text just a little bit, just those three words, it really will challenge your heart. They, it is a plural word. It is a community word. One of the greatest um, corrosive elements within our Christian life in America is that we believe that it's an individualistic faith, that it is nothing more than you and God, just me and God. And the reality is that it is a communal faith. Every one of the yous in John chapter 15 are plural. Every single one of them are plural. All of the yous in John chapter 15 are y'all, all right? They are all y'all. Jesus says, y'all do this. Y'all love one another. Y'all abide and stay and remain with me. All of you together, right? They devoted. It means to have a commitment. It means to stick it out thick and thin, hell or high water through the hardships and the challenges. You're going to stick it out. You are devoted to they, to the other people, to the, the people in the community. My heart breaks how easily we throw away church membership. There's one uncomfortable conversation or one disagreement. We bail. We're out. We're going to go somewhere else. Like this is Kroger. It's not Kroger. It's a church. It's a family. They devoted themselves. Themselves, right? So the emphasis in Christianity is one another, but there is clearly a necessary element of a personal decision. You can't get to heaven on your mama's faith, on your grandmother's faith, on your preacher's preaching, on the church's um, events and activities. You need to make a personal decision. At some, time, at some point in your life, you need to grow up a little bit, recognize I'm broken and in need of a savior. And right now I know who that savior is and that's Jesus. They committed themselves to the faith. That's what remain means. That's what Jesus is teaching when he tells them, I'm the vine, you're the branches, stay, stick it out, remain, abide, sojourn. Let's walk this thing out together. It's not easy. You don't have to tell anybody to, to, to keep in there and, and stick it out when things are good. Nobody's like out there walking. You know, you like go to Tucker Creek and somebody walks past you and you're like, keep going, you can do it, you can do it. Nobody does that when they're walking. When somebody's all sweating and there's a, there's a headwind and they're barely moving their feet, you're like, you can do it, keep going, you can do it. You know what I'm saying? Jesus doesn't say 11 times remain because it's easy. He says 11 times, stick it out because it's hard. It's stinking hard, right? And sometimes it's the they that make it hard, right? The other people, stick it out, remain. But that doesn't really answer what vine means. It, means it, it answers what they should do to the vine, but the vine represents source. Just as the vine has its roots deep down into the soil, pulling from it water and nutrients and vitamins and bringing that to the branches, so is Jesus our source of life. 
He's the place where we get our source. He's the place where we get our community. He's the place where we get our purpose. He's the place where we hear the words of life. He's the place, he's the one whom Peter says, who else, where else could we go? You have the words of life. He says that right after Jesus feeds a bunch of people and that's on purpose. You are how we find our nutrients, the source, the, that, that, uh, that much needed connection. As we move away from that, we recognize this is why Jesus says in verse five, it's also why he says it in verse four, that apart from him, you can do nothing. We need that source. But what about the branches? That's the vine. But what about the, the branches? The branches are connected. The branches are holding on to the vine for dear life as if it is their life because it is their life. He says to the disciples, you are branches. Hold on to the vine. Commit. Remain, lean in to that relationship. Just as Jesus brings that source of life to the branches, the branches then are the way in which we see the vine. They disperse those nutrients and ultimately produce fruit, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But the emphasis on this part, the emphasis on the first visual, the underlying, the foundational idea of this text is, he is the vine and you are the branches. Disciples, you are the branches. Christians, Jesus followers, you are the branches. Hold on to Jesus. Lean into Jesus. That's the basis. That's the basic idea. What I'm saying, and I'll say it again here in just a minute. It's not the fruit. We focus on the fruit as being foundational. This is what is foundational. Don't get your cart in front of your horse, all right? This is what you need to understand First, and it's a good picture. It's an easy illustration. If you saw a mural with a vine and branches, you would understand basically what it means. But if it was just vine and branches, then you would grow concern. If there was no fruit, then you would question. There's something wrong with that. There needs to be fruit. What it tells us is that the connection between Jesus and his believers is one of community, clearly one of community. He is our brother. God is our father. We are brothers and sisters. We are a church. We are a family. That's clearly there, but it's also, hear me, it's also one of purpose. We are connected in a community, in a family, but we also have a job. We were made for a reason. We were created for a purpose. You have something to do. And that's what he talks about with this fruit. The second pair of images that I want to focus on, not vine and branches, but instead fruit and fire. The fruit and fire, you can see that in five again. Grapevines produce grapes. What do Christians produce? What is the next thing that you would see as we walk through this fruit idea? You get these three steps, or at least you could understand it in three steps. The, one, the first one is just the most um, immediate context. If you read verses seven through 11, which I didn't read all of that earlier, the fruit is obvious. There's prayer, there's joy, Jesus says, I tell you these things so that your joy will be complete. There's also love, love for one another, love for the rest of the people in the church. Prayer, joy, love. There's also this idea in Galatians 5, where you have the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, fruit, but then there's eight fruits listed, meaning that 
Um, all of this is connected. All of it grows. All of it is one thing. It's not like you can be this developing Christian and go, like, I, I just produce love. Somebody else produces peace. No, it is all something that we are supposed to produce. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. All of these in Christ. These are the fruit of the Spirit. It is what develops. It's what comes into your life. If you're going to simplify this question, what is Christian fruit? What is it that we produce? Well, I would simplify it in these two ways. The first one is it is outward evidence that a person is committed to Jesus. There is some sort of visibility. It's amazing how many people feel like they can live their lives in ways that don't look anything like Christianity, anything like Jesus, anything like the Bible, and still claim to be a Christian. That's a, that's, a, that's a weird mutant that does not exist in the New Testament. You're committed to Christ. You produce fruit, outward signs towards other people. You notice how many of those fruits, uh, like long suffering and gentleness and patience, how those, you need another person in order for that thing to work. You just can't, you're, not, you're just not patient to nothing, patient to other people. So it's things, it's outward expressions of an inward commitment, but it's also things that matter, things that matter. You can live your life achieving all sorts of accomplishments, but the only things that matter are the things that glorify God and will last past your life. Like love and joy and peace and the way that you treat other people. These are the things that matter. Jesus makes it clear what happens when a person is devoted to him their life shows an outward action and positively affects the lives of other people, things that matter and stand the test of time. And this is so important that, G, that Jesus talks about God the Father being in this mural. And he's in the mural as a, as a vine dresser, as a, as a gardener. That's verse one. And in verse two, he is pruning back the branches. He's pruning back the branches so that they would produce much fruit, so that they will produce more fruit. What this means is it really pushes back on the idea. And hear me on this because your heart believes this even though your mind tells you that it's rubbish. It pushes back on the idea that God's primary task in your life, that his main goal in your life is to affirm all the things that you feel and think. That it doesn't matter what sort of ridiculous, self-focused, selfish idea you have. You bring it to God, he's going to pat your head and say, that's my baby, that's good, that's good. We like that idea. God prunes back the branches. That means he cuts things out. He gets rid of things that are, that are not conducive for growth, that are not good for you. Now hear me on this. It's not often, it's not usually the other people in your life, right? How many of you, maybe you don't pray this way, but you ever prayed, you ever thought to yourself, God, I'd be so loving, I'd be so joyful. I'd be just like you if my coworker would be fired. God, if they could be escorted off the premises with a cardboard box, and if I could get their office chair, God, I would be just like you. Lord, I'd be so peaceful and long-suffering and gentle if my ex-husband was deported to Juneau, Alaska. I'd be good, I'd be God. In the name of Jesus, I would be good. I promise, 
your neighbor, or if your roommate all of a sudden uh, transferred to South Dakota University, something like that, that would be good. You'd be a better Christian. Not often does God cut the people out of your life. He cuts out things like pride and insecurities and selfishness and anger. Those are the things he's cutting out of your lives. Those people, they're the ones you have to be patient with and loving and kind to, right? So God is pruning. He's he's pushing back so that you would produce fruit. Not because the fruit is the point. The relationship's the point. The fruit is the byproduct. All of this really speaks to the idea of purpose. Jesus is our family. You are my family. I am your family. But what we do is produce fruit. We love, we're joyful in hard circumstances. We run into tornado damage. We rejoice even though things are confusing. We are peaceable when there is a debate about how to fix what's wrong in our country. We're long suffering with people who don't see things the way that we see things. We are patient with systems and, 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 and bureaucracy and policies that seem to take forever to just help the people that they were voted to serve. We are gentle with the way that we treat other people that we see as a threat. That's what we are, that's what we do. It's upside down, it's strange, it's not normal, it's not expected, it's branches holding onto the vine. It's the way that we live in this world. There are some people, there are some people that just don't produce fruit, but they look like they're in the right spot. They look like a branch. You know those branches that he cuts off there? They, they would have looked like a branch, and even when they're cut off and they're laying on the ground, that still looks like a branch. Nobody walks by and says, what's that? It's like, that's a branch but they're not producing fruit. Why? Because they're not committed. They're not connected. They're not in, they're not devoted. They're not producing love and joy and peace. You, I'll tell you how you can tell that they're not connected, even though they look like a branch. Cause when, when they get cut, they wither. There's no fruit. When life gets hard, when it's challenging, when their idols are threatened, Love doesn't come out. Joy isn't what they show. Peace isn't what they They start cutting. They're gossipy. They're undermining. They look like a branch, but they're not producing fruit. They're not producing fruit consistent with Christianity. Why? Because they're not committed to Christ, committed to themselves. And so whether you fake it or whether things need to be pruned back, we got in verse six, this idea of a fire that those branches are pulled off, they're ripped off, they're pruned back, piled up and then thrown into a fire. And as we read that, I mean, as we read that modern Christian ears, we think that's hell. Fire equals hell in the New Testament. We see that and then, man, that, that can lead your theology in all kinds of weird spaces. Not weird, I guess, logical, wrong spaces. When I first read that, I think, okay, so look, I, I, I become a Christian, I connect to Jesus, but if I don't keep up my quota, if I don't make enough sales, if I don't produce, he's gonna cut me loose and send me to hell. If I'm not smiling enough, I need to fake this. This is why we get all sold out on the fruit. Hell in this story is not an allusion to, I mean, fire in the story is not an allusion to hell. It's an allusion to gardening, all right? He's just saying that like things that don't produce, they're not, they're not, they're not doing what they were made to do. 
That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that those who have trusted him and believed in him and put their faith in him, sometimes we send some of them to hell too. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not consistent with the rest of scripture. Jesus says, I haven't lost a one that you gave me. I have them sealed up and you have them sealed up. He says that we are sealed to the day of redemption. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are sealed by his power, not by what you accomplish. You don't get to heaven and like lay out your honor roll list. You don't have to take all your trophies to heaven and your gold stars and say, this is why I should get in. There's no, this is why. It's only he is why. That's why. So he's not, he's not trying to scare the hell out of you. He's trying to encourage you to do what you were made to do, to be loving and be kind, to produce what you were called to produce. That's what that fire is. And so Jesus is encouraging his friends to stay the course, to lean in and commit no matter what, stick it out. It's a timely message. Like I said, I'm discouraged sometimes by how easy it is that some people bail on the commitments that they make. They can have a position, they can join something, a community like a church family. And then one thing goes wrong, they jump ship. Like this was nothing more than some place that they just come to be entertained or to get some services. They leave, commitment is gone, it's over. It never really was there. They get out from underneath mama or daddy, away from the ministry, and they let loose. They devoted themselves, you know? Isn't it good that the rest of the disciples didn't bail when one of the disciples betrayed Jesus? Another one uh, acts like he doesn't know Jesus three times the same night. They don't bail, they don't jump. I know that they ran, but overall they stuck to their Christianity. So by way of application, I wanna go back to, I wanna go back to what Jesus first said in verse one. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. In all the I am statements, Jesus is making a claim of exclusivity. He says, I am the gate, there ain't no other gate. You can't get to heaven any other way. I am the bread of life. There's no other place you're gonna find substance. I am water, living water. There's no other place where you're gonna find that sort of refreshment and what you need. I'm the good shepherd. There's no other like me. And it's a claim of exclusivity. So when he says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, there's no other vine. So many people live their lives connected, committed, leaning in, invested, abiding, sojourning, holding on to other things that they think are gonna bring them life, like a career or like a relationship or like their own plans, their own vision for how they see the world. They're holding on to that, thinking that's going to bring them life, but it's not going to bring them life. You know the phrase, ball is life? You ever say that? Any of y'all ever say that? Jesus knows what you mean. He's not mad about it. But ball is life. We can say that. Some people say work is life. Sex is life. 30A is life. And they got the sticker on the back of their minivan to prove it. But Jesus says Christ is life. It's the only life. There's no other life. Christ is life. So are you connected to the one true life? You need to ask yourself, are you connected in the first place? And in verse 14, Jesus says, my friends, 
You are my friend if you keep my command, if you do what I commanded you. Man, I read that and the first thing that I thought of was like a little girl on the playground. So you can't be my friend unless you give me that pencil. You can be my friend if you, uh, you know, do this or do that. That's what it sounds like, but that's not what he's saying. It's the same command as last week. Trust and obey me. Repent and believe and you are connected. You are it's as if Jesus is saying, look, I'm commanding you, receive this free gift of life. And when you do, you're connected. You're a part of this. It's not a, you have to give me something. Jesus is telling you, take this, take this. And so my, my, my question this morning on Palm Sunday is have you trusted Jesus as your savior? Have you taken that free gift? Have you reached out and held on to the reality of you are nothing without the vine and you need that vine? Are you connected in the first place? And the second last question is, you're producing fruit. I didn't ask you if you look like a branch. I didn't ask you if you're thinking happy thoughts. I didn't ask you if at one time, a long time ago, you made a decision. I'm asking you right now, is love growing in your heart? Is joy growing? Peace growing? Here's the good news. I mean, I already told you the good news. That's trusting in Jesus. But here's another good part of the good news. It's not a... Uh, it's not a competition. It's not a quantity thing. It's not like, oh man, I look at my fruit and this is all I got, just a little bit right here. That's not it. And that person over there, they got a lot. Well, praise God for their lot and praise God for your little bit, right? The idea is, is it growing? It takes a long time to get patient with some people, right? It takes a long time to become more loving. It takes a long time sometimes to forgive because what they did was horrible. But is it growing? Are you trying? Are you leaning in? Are you invested? And keep this in mind. Don't focus on the fruits. I'm only asking you if you're producing fruit because if you're not, and if it's not growing, my encouragement to you is don't sit here. Don't leave here right now thinking, you know what? I gotta be more loving. I'm, I'm gonna make a top 10 list of loving things I can do. Here's how I'm gonna be more joyful. Here's how I'm gonna be more peace, uh, peaceable or long suffering. Don't do that. You ask yourself this question. I'm not really producing fruit. How can I know Jesus more? How can I lean into Jesus? How can I love him more? How can I know him more? What scriptures can I read? How can I ignite my soul to worship Jesus? Because it's about Jesus. It's about remaining, abiding, committing, devoting myself. A few days ago, Jackie told me that her phone wasn't working. She said, it's not, see, I don't think my phone's working right. Now you got to understand that this is a girl who famously threw her phone off of a balcony when she was younger so she could get a new phone because her old phone broke accidentally, right? And so to this day, when she wants new technology, both me and her dad look at her kind of cross-eyed like, is that really broke? She says, it's not keeping a charge. That's what she said. She said, I I hung it up, I hung it on the charger, you know, all night long, I put it there and uh, it's only mid-morning, it's a very little charge. And she said, so I went in there and I, and I put it on your charger, seems to be working, seems to be working. So I thought to myself, if my charger, we have the exact same charger and the exact same phone. If my charger is working, then it's not your phone, it's your charger. So I walk into the room and my charger's on my side of the bed, same one, it's one of those little MagSafe ones that you just kind of put up there in the, the magnet just 
keeps it right in place, just puts it right up there in place. And so she had it right over there and I looked at her charger and I looked down on the ground and there's the plug to the, to the charger. It wasn't even plugged in, it's just laying there. Nothing wrong with the charger, nothing wrong with the phone. I just took, I actually took my phone and hung it up on her charger and after I plugged in, it works just fine. Hear me on this, Christians, believers, people who claim to follow Jesus. There's a lot of people that are like, they're right there. They look like they're doing the right thing. They're sitting in the right seat. They're hearing all the preaching. They know the words, all that sort of stuff. They're not producing any fruit. Not keeping a charge. You know why? Because they're not plugged in. They're not connected to Christ. They're not connected to the only one true source of life. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.